All right, we're going to pick up where we left off. This is the last part of my I Am series. And I told them this morning in our rally before service, I said, man, I, I, I've got so much in me right now that I want to preach, but I've got to finish this series. And I really battled with other even to finish this last part. But I feel like you have to hear this last part to get you to the end of this thing so that you can walk in a greater relationship with God through Jesus. Amen. Let me say this to you real quick. Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing this series and I've done this series to debunk the methodology or the theology that Jesus is the only thing. Jesus is God's son. The Bible says that he is God in flesh form, but the Bible says that there's a divine trinity. There's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God sent Jesus to reconcile us back to the Father. Jesus has a purpose in our life. The problem in the church today is that most people in the church just want Jesus but do not want the Father. And if they don't want the Father, then they have to reject the Holy Spirit as well. Because you cannot have one without the three, and you cannot have three without the one. But what I've learned over the years is that what's happened in the church culture today is that we, we choose Jesus over God because the Bible says he's the elder brother. And it is very easy to reject the elder brother. When the elder brother says, don't do this, you go, dude, you're my brother, shut up. But when God from heaven goes, hey, you're like, oh, Lord, right? And who in this world, watch, by show of hands, who in this world wants to be told what to do? But if you did it right, you wouldn't need a Savior. See, and here's the part of it is, is that we are all people who need a Savior. I can't finish this life without him. I can't get to the end of this race without him. And so I've got to understand that my desire as a believer should be to end up in the house of God, not the house of Jesus. And we, we declared these things over the weeks. At first, we declared he's I am because we had to define what I am really is. Because I am is, is way more than just a statement. He is your everything. He is the missing piece to the finishing of your puzzle. Without Jesus, you're missing the corner piece of that 300-piece puzzle. Y'all ever finished a puzzle and you get to the very end and there's one piece missing and you're ticked because you spent hours working on the puzzle and there's one piece missing and so you search the whole house again and you can't find it? That's our lives. God's given us a puzzle and the picture is almost complete, but to complete it, he has to become the cornerstone. And when Jesus becomes the cornerstone, the picture is completed. And when we are completed in through Christ, we now can reside in the house with God. Jesus says, I am. And then he goes on through these statements. He says, I am the bread of life. Stop eating everybody else's stuff. Stop picking up the crumbs. He says, I will sustain you through every course of your existence if you just trust me to feed you. He says, I'm the light of the world. Amen. And nobody, I don't want him to be the light. The only reason we don't want him to be the light is because we're afraid he might expose the darkness in our lives. We're afraid for him to turn the lights on because we might have to see the things we keep trying to hide in the corners thinking no one sees, but yet God still sees. He says, I sent my son to illuminate your existence so that you could walk out of the darkness of your existence and walk into his marvelous light. So many people in the church today are in the church but still in darkness. He says, I am the door. You understand? He didn't say I'm the house. He didn't say I'm the mansion. He said, I'm the door. The door seems very insignificant, but without the door, there is no entrance. So he says, I am the door. I am the one that opens the way into the Father's house. And when I said something at the end of that message that weekend, it hit me like a freight train, and I'd never said it before. Some of people in the church think that God gave up your bedroom. Jesus said, I'm just trying to get you back home to the Father, where the Father has kept your room waiting for you to return. Or he has set up your room waiting for you to come home for the first time. But Jesus says, I am the door to your life. And then we talked about he's the way, the truth, and the life, and and and. I know it reads in scripture that way, but the way that is translated, it says, I am the way to the truth 
and the life. In other words, the truth is God and the life is in God, but he is the way to that truth and life. For the Bible says that he is the mediator between you and God. <laughs> no one can come to the Father except through. Come on, y'all better work with me this morning. I've been in church for six days. Y'all got to talk back to me this morning. He says, I'm the way to the truth and the life that you're looking for. I am the mediator between God and man. I don't understand how pastors today can sit on television shows and knowing the gospel, knowing what the word says, can look somebody in the face and go, there are many ways to the Father. My word never declared it. I've read it, read it from Genesis to Revelations. It never says it in this book. You can't be good and get to the Father. You can't love people and get to the Father. You can only receive Jesus to get to the Father. And if you reject Jesus, then you reject the Father. No wonder the church is jacked up today. Well, if I, if I, you know, I'm a good person. You go ask people, you do an interview on the streets, you say, what, what makes you a, a Christian? Well, I'll, I'm a good person. Satan was a good person in the beginning. And then he rebelled. And God booted him. Can I be honest with you, though? I think God gave Satan an opportunity for repentance. But Satan rejected it. Because truth be told, more people in the church today want to be God rather than serve God. They want to tell God how things are going to go rather than submit to his authority and his leadership and guidance so that we can finish the race, not have to stop short. We talked about last, the last one I talked about, he was the true vine. He's the vine and God's the vine dresser. And nobody wants the vine dresser because nobody wants to be pruned anymore. I, I, I say this all the time. I think sometimes my preaching is very uh, old school because I don't mind telling you things you don't want to hear. Because I, what I've learned is that the word changes you. The word doesn't make you complacent. The word doesn't compromise. The word doesn't keep you comfortable. The word shifts you. Sometimes the word hurts you. Yes, I know. But that's why the Bible calls it a sword. That word calls it a sword. You notice it didn't call it a feather. It didn't call it a pillow. It didn't call it anything other than a sword. Why? It says because it can rightly divide between bone and marrow. So at moments it heals, but at moments it cuts. How many times has the word cut you? And you get mad because, God, it hurts. It's supposed to hurt because it's separating you from your flesh, you from your sin. He's coming in to change you. You've got to be willing to be changed. If you don't want to be changed, stop serving God because God was saving you from your past condition, not to keep you in your present condition. And so this week, we're going to step a little bit further. So turn with me this morning to the book of John, chapter 11, verse 25. And for those of you looking at me funny, yes, I now officially wear glasses. This is not a fashion statement. This is now my life. I can't see. I'm blind. Amen. <laughs> Pastor, don't speak those things. Listen, when she put a words in front of me and I realized I hadn't been reading right for a while, it messed me up. It's like, can you see? Now I'm like, Ooh! praise the Lord. That was, that was how I got divine healing from lens crafters. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So Pastor Robert came to me in my office this morning. He goes, good morning, Clark Kent. I said, appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Okay, all right, John chapter 11, verse 25, you got it? If you don't have your Bible, please bring your Bible to church, please. I am not the word, that is the word, get in it. John chapter 11, verse 25, here it goes, it says, Jesus said to her, you'll find out who her is in a second, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall Live And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. And I, I added this because most of the time when we read these scriptures, we want to stop right there because it's kind of the culmination of where that scripture lies. But I love what Jesus says at the end of this. He goes, do you believe this? 
Because I think that's a question that God's asking to the church today. Do you, do you really believe this? Because what I'm learning as pastoring is that I spend more time trying to convince you of God rather than you just believing in God. I've looked at over the years, the messages I've preached, and I've, and I've weighed out how many of them can kind of seem similar to a, a, a thought process or a, a declaration or a movement. And, and I started to realize that I'm repackaging the same word over and over because the truth be told, I'm spending more time as a pastor convincing believers to believe rather than you just choosing to believe, which now brings another thought process into the table is that do you really believe that the God you serve is the God that you serve or you're waiting for someone else to be bigger than the one you are in right now? Because I should, listen, can I ask you, I should be able to sit down there on a Sunday morning and you preach to me by now. I should be able for you to come tell me how big God is. Instead of every week, I've got to tell you how big God is. Hey, listen, I know you're going through struggles, but he's a way of escape. I know that there seems turmoil all around you, but God says he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Pastor, I know all those things. So then why am I repeating myself? Jesus is stuck in the same conundrum in this moment with Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were like family to Jesus. They were friends of Jesus. They knew Jesus. Martha was the one that washed his hair, washed his feet with his hair and her costly perfume. And, 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 and all these amazing moments have happened. And they've, Jesus has been in the house and they've seen the miracles and all these things. And now Jesus finds him in a moment where he's trying to convince the one who's seen everything happen. All over again. So this morning, I just want to deal with the next part of it. I am the resurrection and the life. But let me recap some of this story so that you understand where we are. Lazarus was sick. He passes away. Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary. And like I said, uh, this is the people who, who this is the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her costly oil. And, and in John chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus tells the disciples that this sickness that he hears about is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Can I take a sidebar for a second? And this wasn't in my original notes, but as I was writing, it leaped off at the page at me. This one statement of Scripture, if you underline statements or Scriptures in your Bible, I would really ask you to underline or highlight this statement, because I think this is one of those ones that you need to kind of slap yourself in the face with a couple of times. This sickness is not unto death. Ah, your troubles are not unto death. Your situations are not unto death. The moments that you walk through are not unto death. They're just a moment. The Bible says that your afflictions are yet but temporary. They're temporary. The problem is, is that we have a tendency to make them permanent. And the only reason that they become permanent in our life is because we do not trust that God can deliver us out of it, so we try to deliver ourselves out of it. Or we build tents and houses in the middle of it. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Listen, nothing you go through is because of you, but that the Son of God might be glorified through you. How many of y'all got problems? Y'all lying in church right now. You're lying, lying in church. No, I ain't got no problems. I'm righteous and holy and fearfully and wonderfully made, and, and everything is perfect. Just shut up, because I watch your Facebook. Man, I'm telling you, the devil has a heyday with your Facebook. He goes, to, he goes to God like this. Hey, hey, God, look, look, look. Look what your believers said. Look, look. See all that whining and complaining? Yeah, they don't believe in you. See, ah, I'm trying not to go there. I told you I messed up. Y'all let me go away for six days. When he becomes the resurrection and the life in you, everything changes in you. Therefore, I can't complain. I came home to my wife and I said, hey, we're going to break the spirit of complaining, period. No more complaining. You know what complaining is? Dissatisfaction with God. 
Oh, no, no. We're not talking about dissatisfaction with a moment. We're talking about dissatisfaction with God. Because everything in your life, God either said yes or no to. Oh, read your word. Read your word. Read your word. For every good and perfect thing comes from the Father. You go, but the devil, but the devil. The devil doesn't have you if you don't let him have you. I'll give it to you again. This is just one of those one more. I'm trying to convince you. Let me give you one more. The Bible says the enemy goes to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Y'all remember Mother May I? Mother May I, you had to get permission, right? In other words, the only way the enemy gets in your existence is when you give permission. So if you exalt the enemy, uh, then you gave him permission to exist at the table. As opposed to saying, uh-uh, no, 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 we're done. When I received Christ, you had to leave because the word says, behold, all things have become new. All things are passed away. All things are passed You shut the wall off. You built a levee system and you fortified yourself away from the enemy. Stop inviting him back in and saying, oh. And I'm looking at this moment in, in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 4. And he, and he says this to the disciples. He says, this sickness is not under death. These are the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, saw all the miracles, and he's having to remind the disciples who he is. And understanding this sickness not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Let me say it again. Nothing you have gone through is because of you, but that the Son of God might be glorified through you. Everything in your life was created to bring God glory. You just got to decide if you're going to glorify him in the middle of it. Mm. Everything in your life was meant to bring God glory, but you got to decide how you're going to worship in the middle of it, how you're going to praise in the middle of it. Are you going to walk? No. Calling my mama, I'm praising God. People keep asking me, Pastor, how's your heart? I'm whole. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I feel great. Shut up. Quit asking. I'm good. I have four little burnt circles on the back of my heart, and I'm good. I feel great. They're taking me off. Look, can I be honest with you? I got to just give a praise for it. I just got to give a praise for it. I went out of town. Had to take seven bottles of medication with me. Seven. I'm 41 years old. I'm not supposed to be on seven bottles of medication. Okay? I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in, in, on the plane. And I'm like, man, I feel good. I get off the plane and I feel this check in my spirit. Stop taking the blood pressure meds. Oh, pastor, you're crazy. Watch this. For an entire week, my blood pressure has been spot on. I went back to drinking coffee, praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. Had a coffee the whole time I was gone. Yes. And I drank good coffee too. Amen. Like that powerful kick in the face coffee, like <sighs> coffee. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Not that sissified, milkified stuff. I'm talking about like shots of espresso, like ready to roll. That's what I had. Okay. Amen. Uh, amen. And so, so I, I, and people go, Pastor, are you okay? I mean, went to an event last night, and somebody said, Pastor, how, how are you feeling? I don't know, how are you feeling? I feel great. Here's why. Because even in the midst of my worst feelings, I still have to glorify God so that he gets the glory in the moment, so be, he becomes the deliverer and the lifter of my head. I'm not pinching, pitching tents in the middle of a circumstance. I'm walking out of this sucker. Do not expect me to put my home in the middle of a valley. Don't build yours there either. If you've got a spirit of complaining, you need to get it off. Everything in your life was created to bring God glory, even death. Ooh, 
I told my wife years ago, I said, listen, babe, when I die, please do not put me in a casket and parade me in front of the church. Don't put a picture up here. Don't do it. I said, just don't do it. But, but babe, I said, don't do it. I said, don't have a church service. Give God all the glory. Why? Because I'm not here, Jack. I'm gone. You sitting here laboring over a corpse is not going to get anywhere. Oh, he died. I'm not in heaven going, oh, I died. I'm in heaven going, shut up. It's good. See you later. I'll be here. Come on home. And then we should be, see, but this is what we do. We, we, we got we to gotta mourn over death. We got to mourn over str- struggles. We got to mourn over this. We got to mourn over that. And we spend more time in mourning than we do in worship. Yeah. <sighs> then Jesus hears that Lazarus has died. And then I love what Jesus does. Jesus stays in the same place he was for two more days. Not even death could move him. You'll catch this in a second because as I was reading this, it literally jumped off the page. My moments in my life should never have to force God to move. I should just be able to trust to know that he is moving. <sighs> I'm laying in a hospital bed and the, do- the doctors are going, your heart's not correcting itself. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. No. Oh, God. Whatever you want to do, I, I trust you. I got, I, got to give you the, I got to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. I got to worship you through the moment. And, and you're the one that's going to hold me through this. And I'm walking into surgery. And let's just be honest. Anytime you have heart surgery, there's possibilities. They even tell you about it. There's possibilities. And, and I know everybody told me, Pastor, it's not a big deal. And I, and I get that. But some people don't make it. Amen. And, and, and I had to lay down and let them put me to sleep knowing that I might not wake up. And I had to lay down and close my eyes and trusting that God is the one that called me, that God is the one that purposed me. And yes, I might have some heart issues, but God's still the one who made me. And and he anointed a doctor and he put the nurses in this room. And yes, I've got seven screens up here in front of me, but God still got me. And it's the same thing that Jerry declared when he went into the hospital. And, and, and they went in and the valve that they pulled out of his heart should not have been functioning. It should have killed him. But yet for 67 years, he's continued on. And when they brought the, the valve and showed Roxanne, it looked like it had been run over by a semi-truck. Yet God sustained him. Now, Jerry could have been like, oh, God, I was going to die. No, Jerry said, look what God did. Look, God sustained me. He kept me. He never wavered. He never faltered me. And yeah, when I came out, I might have had some, some arrhythmia issues and some AFib and this. But God still, God. See, it's, it, 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 you, you want, oh, God, resurrect me. Why? Because you keep crawling in your grave? It's amazing how believers would rather live in a dead place than live in a living place. Why, why is it that we have this tendency to gravitate toward dead things rather than to the living things. So him and the disciples, I'm not even in the scripture yet. Jesus help us. Him and the disciples go to Judea. And he tells, he tells them that Lazarus is asleep. What a bold statement from Jesus. It is like, hey, guys, I don't know if y'all realize this. I know what the report says. But he's just taking a nap. I know what everybody else says, but he's just sleeping. And I'm going to go wake him up. Come on, that's, that's some crazy stuff. That's, that's nuts stuff. Like, you know some of those disciples like Judas and Peter, doubting Thomas, kind of like, <laughs> okay, we'll go and see if he makes this one work. You go, why would you say Peter? Well, Peter doubted Jesus too and began to sing. Judas betrayed him, and Thomas always asked too many questions. Amen. And so you, you know they were having these problems. But can I just say this? You stop getting caught up in a death, in the death and get caught up in life. Stop praising your struggles and start praising your Savior. Stop getting lost in the problems and declare the promise. Can you just act like you've been resurrected? Yeah. 
Can you act like you've got some life in you? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I go to churches sometimes and I'm like, is, is God here? Because I can't see him. He might be in me, but I can't see him. Because it has not become apparent to the ones that say they're worshiping him. Come on, let me ask you. How many of you in this room have ever had some dead stuff in your existence? Did God save you from it? Can you act like it? It's amazing what we'll shout for. If I said everybody, if I was playing like Oprah this morning and said, everybody gets a car, you get a car, and you get a car. Everybody like, yeah, praise God. If I stand here as a pastor this morning and say, because of God, you get life, and you get life, and you get life. And yeah, we know we get life, Pastor. It's amazing that we take for granted the life that God gave us, but we want the materialistic things that think can give us better life. Jesus is not life, not, not, not material things. He is the resurrection and the life. He picks you up and walks you into a greater existence. Your greater existence is not materialistic. When you die, that stuff doesn't go with you. When you got saved, he resurrected you. You were dead. You were dead because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when Jesus came in, he washed away your sin. That's what the word says. Now, if you keep going putting it back in, amen, you know you're dirty again. All right. Well, I got washed once. That's like my son at 11 years old saying I took a bath one time. No. Absolutely not. You need to go clean yourself. You are dirty again. Well, I ain't do nothing. And y'all have kids that do that. Mine are doing that now. Amen. I ain't do nothing. Bruh, seriously, go to the bathroom and take a shower. Oh, I don't want to do it. Look, can I just be honest with you? When I was... Uh, nine, ten years old. I don't think I've ever told my mama that she's sitting in the room. She gets to hear this. I used to go in the shower, turn on the shower, lock the door, and just sit in the bathroom. <laughs> Wash my hair in the bathtub and walk out and be like, because ah, I didn't feel like taking a shower. You took a shower? Yep. Sir, that boy, you know the smell got real. Yeah. Woo! That was not Holy Ghost. Mm-mm, no, no. Mm-mm. Nope. So now let's go back and let's pick up where we left off the story of John in chapter 11, verse 17. So here it goes. You ready? So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Jesus knew about it for four days. Four days. We're talking a dead man. Four days. Your situation isn't death. And you get mad when he waits 10 minutes. Did you ever think that the reason he waited as long as he did is because you really didn't believe he'd do what he said he would do? Because it takes belief for, to move him. For the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. <laughs> without faith, you can believe for nothing. And so you have to have faith in everything. And so when you, so when you go to God and say, God, I need your help, you better have faith that he's coming. Because if you don't have faith, he's going to let you walk through that valley until you come out of that sucker. Yeah. Jesus said, there's no rush for me to get there. I am. The next time you go through something and God doesn't move when you want him to do, Jesus doesn't show up when you want him to show up, remember that he said, I am. I'm not, I might be, I could be, I am. Shut up, quit whining, and sit back and relax. He's coming. Okay, four days going on. Comes by the tomb. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Here come verse 20. You ready? Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Now, you understand that customary when there was a time of mourning, the women stayed in the house. That was Jewish culture. The women stayed in the house. But she broke culture and ran to Jesus, right? And you go, oh, that's great. She saw Jesus. She ran to him because she knew he was his source. Oh, but you didn't read the word yet. Now, Martha, in verse 21, now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Can I give it to you the way it's probably really written? She didn't walk him and go, Jesus, you know, if you'd been here, my brother probably wouldn't have died. I think she had some stank in her voice. <laughs> She's like, Jesus, now you know Lazarus is your boy. Right. We're family. <laughs> He's been in there for four days, and you couldn't get off your blessed assurance to come here and get him out? And that's exactly how we talk to God when he doesn't give us what we want. God, I go to church every Sunday. I lift my hands because pastor says lift them. I serve in the church. God, I'm your favorite. You should have been here already. And God goes, for real? Seriously. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And I love what he says. She goes in verse 22. I think she had a stupid moment. She's like, ooh, that went too far. That's like going to your boss and saying something to your boss, knowing that he has the power to fire you. Biting off more than you could chew. She's looking at the Son of God right here. She knows who Jesus is. That's the Messiah, you dummy. This, this is the man who, who is put here by the one who anointed Elijah to call bears out of woods. Like, seriously, are you, you crazy? So she goes, but, but even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am that resurrection. You've been waiting for things to live in your life. Because you've been waiting to do it yourself. And Jesus says, but I am that resurrection that you've been looking for. And I'm not the resurrection of the things that God killed in you. I'm the resurrection of the new life that God's calling you to. I raised the dead to life. In other words, when you were in sin, you were dead, and now you've been raised to life. Uh, Martha said, I know that he rise again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And people go, why do you have to go so morbid all of a sudden? Why do you have to go from, you know, he's going there to take care of Lazarus to now he says, he says, even though they die, he shall live. Because here's the truth of it. For years, I had an issue with death. I had a, para- not a paranoia, but an anxiety issue with death. The thought of lacking of existence scared me. I'm a father of four kids. The thought of my children growing up without their father bothered me. Bothered me severely, like to a point where I couldn't watch things on TV because if it was death, it would send me to a, almost a panic attack. And I started going, God, what is that? God, I serve you. I love you. He says, but you don't trust me with your life. You trust me with your moments, but you don't trust me with your eternity. And if you can't trust me with your eternity, then you can't trust me in your present. Because I am not just a temporal moment, God. I am the future of your existence. I birthed you, made you to live in this earth so that when you finished on this earth, you would sit with me in heaven. But we forget about that perspective because everything has to be now. Everything has to be in this moment. And the scripture says, it says, it says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Listen, there is no dead person in your life that is not alive. The only one that kills him is you. Ooh, got real bad, huh? Because when I do funeral services, sometimes I have to remind people that the greatest story of their, the greatest moment of their story is the stories that you'll tell beyond their existence. Legacy is not birthed when you're living. Legacy is birthed when you die. Legacy is the stories you tell and the things that they did in your life. Listen, I love my grandfather, and I know he's getting up there in age, and I know one day he'll go home to see Jesus. But let me help you with something. The legacy of Ralph Stricker will be carried well beyond his age. Why? Because I'll still keep walking around pulpits going, praise God. Because that's Ralph. 
That's my grandfather. I will, I will continue on beyond my mother. I will continue on beyond my parents. I will, I will continue on beyond my aunts and uncles, and I will carry that legacy. Can I just say something to you? What legacy are you carrying right now? Oh, my mom and dad didn't do me right. I was abused as a kid, and I'm just never going to be greater than that. You crazy. Jesus said, I resurrected you from the pain of your past and launched you into the promise of your future. Stop talking about what you didn't have and declare what you do have in this moment, for your legacy is not because of your parents. Your legacy is because of the calling of God on you. My mama didn't call me. She whipped me. <laughs> My mama didn't anoint me. She prayed for me. <laughs> I won't tell you all the other things she did because I want you to still love my mama. Amen. <laughs> he was, yeah, I was that bad. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, uh, my, my grandparents didn't, they, they, were, they were pillars, but the pillars that they were, were, hey, with God, all things are possible. Without God, you're going to die and go to hell. So get it right. It was very simple. I know we want to be in the Kumbaya church today. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about hell. Serve the devil. You'll find out what it's like. Rebel against God. The Bible says rebellion is, is under witchcraft. And witchcraft will put you in hell. That's what your Bible, Pastor, that's Old Testament. That's not New Testament. Okay, watch this. If you're over the age of 60, stand to your feet. You're like, that's not right. My mama said, that ain't right. <laughs> and you can't lie in church. Amen. Okay, now watch, watch, watch. You're over the age of 60. Now, can I just say this to you? You're standing up and you're saying, I'm over the age of 60. We celebrate you. Let me be honest with you. Let me say this to you. Why? Let me say this to you. Why? Because people go, no, 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 I'm old. I'm old. I'm, no, you're not. You're alive. In him you live and breathe and have your being. You're alive. Shh. You're good. You're not dead. You're awake. You, God can still use you. Stay on your feet. Hold up. Don't sit down yet. I know you're 60, over 60, but don't know. I'm, I'm speaking life to you right now. Stay on your feet. You're good. Here's the problem. The church that wants to get rid of the Old Testament wants to kill everybody that's standing up right now. Because we go, no, we don't have a place for them in the church anymore. You idiots. How are you going to have a greater foundation if you don't build off the ones that were there before you? Jesus came before you, right? And he left a legacy, right? To build what on? He says, I'm the chief cornerstone. You can't build your house without me. I am the rock that you build your house on. Everything else is seeking sand. If you don't build your house on the ones that have paved the way ahead of you, you're not going anywhere. Down. Mm, I'm still not all the way where I need to be. This might become a two-part, part seven. Amen. <laughs> he who believes in me, he shall, though he may, may die, he shall live. Verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What? Whoever believes in me shall never die? Never. That means if you truly believe in God, you can never talk about death. Because there is no death. For the Bible says that Jesus overcame death. Well, it's amazing how believers will communicate death. I'm, I'm God's favorite. I love God. I don't want to die. Oh, they're going to die. Oh, it's going to be so bad. They're going to die. Okay, can, can I just, can I be honest with you? Can I just be a very carnal pastor for a second? Okay. Y'all know Miss Patty Robin in our church. Still technically, am I right, in a coma. So I says, Pastor, what if she dies? What if? Wait, hold on. People go, no, no, we can't say that. Wait, hold on, no. What if? To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. What if? 
But we don't, we don't want it. I know what we don't want. But what we don't want doesn't supersede God's purpose and plan. So I have to say, God, in all of this, you get glorified. Well, pastor, we've prayed, and, and you said if we prayed and believed, he'd be faithful to us. He is faithful. He didn't send her to hell. See, and we get lost in death. I'm not lost in her not living because I still believe in everything in me. She's coming out that coma because I know what my word says. But let me say this to you. Death doesn't scare me. I am not afraid of death because if I'm afraid of death, I have signed on the dotted line to the enemy's contract that he always wanted for my life. Because if he can lock me to death, then I cannot walk in the resurrection and the life. See, Jesus came to get you out of death. Out of death, not visitation from death, not a vacation from death, but out of death, never to look back at death again. But yet we still communicate death because we were more concerned about the finality of a thing than the promise of a new thing. And whoever lives in whoever lives and believes in me. Ah, he shall never die. When my kids go, Dad, you're gonna die. Nope. I'm gonna go to heaven and God's gonna give me visitation rights. And I'm going to come down in the middle of your sim go, I see you. I don't know. I'd be really cool if God will do that. It'd be awesome. Mom, don't get any ideas. Amen. Okay. He says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says this to her. And this is a statement. This is, this is, this is like, ah, I want to scream this. Do you believe this? See, and it's easy in church to go, oh, yeah, we believe it. Because it's easy to say yes when you're amongst other believers. But when you wake up tomorrow morning and everything's not working the way it was this morning, hello. Do you believe this? I don't know. I wasn't ready. No, I'm not. No, I don't. No, I don't. You know how you tell somebody's belief? By the words of their mouth. For the Bible says that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's amazing how many people that claim God don't even sound like God lives. Okay. I'm trying to be nice. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Look back at 21 for just a second. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna have to double this one up. You're going to have to come back next week and get the second part of this. Part 7, part 2. Amen. <laughs> Verse 21, let's look back at that for just a second. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is how we treat God. If you would have just been here, if you would have just. Anybody ever said that to God? God, if you'd have just done this, if you'd have just done that. Can I be honest with you? Anything you say after that puts limitations on God. If you'd have just done this, then what you're telling God is you can only do this rather than do what you want to do. And trust me when I tell you, whatever he wants to do in your life is far greater than what you can think or imagine. For his ways are not your ways. His plans are not your plans. His thoughts are not your thoughts. But it's amazing how we limit God into what we want him to do rather than allowing him to be God. Aren't you glad that God didn't consult you to make you? Ooh. Aren't you glad God didn't consult your enemies to make you? Hey, let me go to the enemies so I can find out if I can touch them or if I can create them. I, I'm so glad. That God didn't consult the, the, the jail wardens and the, and the DA's office and the attorneys about whether or not I was really supposed to be created. We've spent our lives telling God, if you'd have just done this, there is nothing that you can say to God in that, in that perspective. Say, God, if you'd have just done this, if you'd have just done this, if you'd have just, my life would be better. No, your life would be better if you'd grab a hold of God and let him lead you instead of telling him where to go. 
God, if you'd have just fixed my marriage and if you'd have just treated your spouse right. If you'd have just saved my children, if you'd have led by example. If you'd have just built the church, if you'd have got out of your office and gone and reached people more than you wanted to preach from a pulpit. God, if you'd have just done this. That's a death statement. That's not a resurrected statement. That is a pain statement. And unfortunately, we've been conditioned in the church to be in pain more than an embrace who he is. Anybody ever just said, God, if you'd have just... I got emotional for a second because I remember the night I sat in my single cab truck in Lakeland, Florida at a truck stop with all my belongings in my passenger seat. My mama didn't even know I was not living in somewhere. She just, I didn't tell anybody. I was living out of my truck. And I remember sitting on the side of the building going, God, how did I get here? And I remember telling God, I don't deserve this. I've loved you my entire life. I've been to church my entire life. I was raised, cut my teeth on church pews. How did I get here? God, if you had just... And I remember God sitting in that moment going, did what? If I had just done what? If you would have just saved me, I did. If you would have just loved me when my fathers wouldn't, I did. If you would have just kept me and protected me, Brian, you're breathing. If you would have just, no, Brian, it's not if I would have just, it's if you would have just. If you would have just got out of your grave clothes and worshipped me and trusted me, you'd have seen that I was already working on your behalf. The reason you're sitting in this truck sleeping sideways on your stack of clothing is because you've trusted you more than you've trusted me. And I've been sitting in heaven waiting for the moment right now you would finally be in the position that I could tell you I've never left you or forsaken you. That I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And though your father and mother may forsake you, I never will. That you are the righteousness of me. That I have plans to prosper you even as your soul prospers. That through every trial and tribulation, I always make a way of escape. Though a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, no plague shall come nigh your dwelling. This is not your resting place. This is the place of resurrection. Can I say this to you? The toughest moments of your life are the resurrection moments of your life. Because it's the moment that you have to decide whether you will die or live. I was sitting in church service on... Sunday morning. You know, I'm a pastor, so you go into church like this is what we do, right? It's church. 
And I'm sitting on the third row, and I got hit in the chest really hard by God. And this is what he asked me. Now, I, I, I don't adhere to this, but, you know, the normal stats say that the average life expectancy of a male in today's culture is 85 years old. Okay? I'm 41. According to stats, I've almost lived half my life. This is what God said to me. He said, will the second half be greater than the first half? He didn't tell me that the second half would be greater than the first half. He asked me if the second half would be greater than the first half. He asked me if the second half of my life would be greater than the first. Why did he ask me? He's God. He could just tell me it's going to be. It's not up to him. It's up to me. Because I got to choose whether I'm going to live or die. I've got to make a decision whether I walk out of this thing or I walk into this thing. You have to make that same decision. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life in you, you can't talk about dead things anymore. And if there's things around you that bring up death, cut them off. You, you always hear me talk about social media. And, and I know I have social media and people are like, oh, I sent you a message on Facebook. I'm like, I don't check it. I just don't. Very rarely do I ever see anything. Every once in a while, it'll pop up and I go, oh, I got to answer. But very rarely do I ever deal with anything. And there's a reason why I don't do it. Because a lot of times social media as a pastor brings death to my spirit. Pastor, what do you mean? Because I see what church people are doing and it grieves me. And God says, cut it off. Stop looking at it. It's destroying you. Because what happens is, is when you see something that grieves your spirit as a pastor, you're given an opportunity to declare the word in a moment. What I ended up doing was starting to declare problems. Dealing with issues in people rather than dealing with the church in general so that we can grow rather than one person being changed. And unfortunately, this is where the enemy gets us. And so I've got to be willing to get out of the, if you just would have, and just understand that I'm going to. I have to. It's not up to him. It's up to me. He's already done everything he can for me. He sent Jesus so I didn't go to hell. Do you, do you really get that? We, we, we like, like, like eternity is not enough. What is your value of eternity? It's amazing. We, we have devalued eternity. We have. We don't care anymore. We hope we get there, but we want the blessing now. We want the promise now. We want the gifts now. We want, we want the tangibles right now. None of that is bigger than eternity. None of it. We don't even worship God because of eternity. We worship God because maybe if we give him enough praise and sing good enough and lift up our hands high enough and let him know that we love him, maybe he'll give me what I want right now. Rather than your worship is to bring you into eternity not to bring you material things now. Your worship is preparation for heaven. Ah, and then God says heaven will come down and meet you where you are. Heaven coming down is not gifts. Heaven coming down is the presence of God manifesting so that you don't have to walk this life alone. That's what he's bringing to you. But we go, God, give me more. You don't need anything else. I was sitting, I was sitting at, at the church on, on Sunday night, and one of the guys there was helping Pastor Glenn, and he helps Pastor Glenn all the time, and, and the last time I was there, I like watches. I don't know if you ever noticed that. I like watches. I just like watches. Amen. And, um, and he was like, man, I forgot my watch. And I'm standing right next to him. He goes, give me your watch. God, it's one of my favorite watches. Are you serious? He said, give me your watch. God, he probably makes more money than I got. He goes, give me your watch. I'm like, hey, listen. I watch him. I said, here. I handed him my watch. 
He goes, why'd you do that? I said, I don't know God told me to do it. He goes, you know, I've been sitting watching you all service long, and I've been admiring that watch. I said, well, God told me to give it to you. He goes, well, why? I said, I don't know, because it doesn't mean anything to me. I would rather be obedient to God than ignore God. But my obedience is birthed out of an eternity mindset, not a temporal mindset. Because I've been resurrected from the dead things. I don't need things to make me happy. Things are fun, but things only last for a season. Come on, work with me. You know those things that you bought and spent a lot of money on? Where are they at right now? Some of us spend thousands and thousands and thousands on cars, and we don't even treat them right. Oh, God, I don't like my car. It's not you don't like your car. It's that you won't take care of your car. It's the same way with everything else. We, we're just looking for the next thing because we, we, we just wear things out till it dies and then we have to go find something else to fix us. Why can't Jesus just be enough? Do you know why I have a great wife? Because of Jesus. Do you know why I have a daughter named Love that drives me up a wall? Because of Jesus. I am never worried about her, not a day in my life. She will hurt somebody. At a later age, if any man ever crosses her, they're in trouble. Say, like, Dad, I took care of it. I know you did, baby girl. I know you did. <laughs> Why do I have a son who loves God, a daughter who loves God, a babies who love God, a wife who loves God? Why do I have that? Why did God bless me with that? Not because of me. So when I see it, I got to give him praise. Because if I start to devalue what he's blessed me with, then I crawl back into the single cab of the truck, lean back on my old clothes, and ask God, where have you gone? I came home from my trip. I was still on California time, two hours behind. I didn't go to bed till 2 o'clock in the morning. 6 o'clock came early on Friday morning, and the kids' alarms were going off, and we got to get up, and wife burns, and it hits me in the chest. She goes, you want to get them? The answer in my spirit was, no. Wait. My wife was dealing with the four kids for six days while I was gone. And I said it like this. I said, I've only been asleep for four hours, but yeah, I want to get up. Why? Why would you say something like that? Why don't you just tell her you didn't feel like you were tired? Why don't you just play dead? Because that's what she does to me. Baby's like, ah! For real? Okay. And so I got up, and, and, and I got up, and then, and then they were going to have to go to the bus, and it's raining outside, and, and, and Tiff's sitting on the recliner drinking a cup of coffee, and she's like, they're like, Dad, we got to go to the bus, and we said, Mom, we got to go to the bus. She goes, your dad will take you. <laughs> okay, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Okay, then my, my other daughter gets up, the one that goes to kindergarten, and she gets dressed, and she goes, Mom, I got to go to the bus. Your dad will take you. Okay, woman, now you're abusing it. All right. So I went out to the bus with her and stood in the rain with the umbrella and put him on the bus. And Then it hit me. According to my failures, I was never supposed to have that opportunity. According to my mistakes and my mishaps, I was never supposed to stand with kids at a school bus and send them on. 
according to the enemy, I was supposed to live in destitute for the rest of my life. But he is my resurrection and my life. See, when you capture this, it changes the perspective of everything around you. I go on trips, I come home, my kids want to see their gifts more than they want to see me. Son calls me, Dad, when are you coming home? I'll be home in an hour. You got my toy? Yes, son, I got your toy. I wanted to walk in the house and go, the luggage got lost on the plane, I'm sorry. But then I look at those moments and it's like, I didn't, I bought for everybody else. Why? Because I'm satisfied. When he becomes your resurrection in your life, you are satisfied. I get more enjoyment out of my kids being happy and my wife being happy than me. I would rather give them gifts. She goes, what do you want? What do you want? What do you, what do you want to get? I don't know. I don't care. But it, 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 it does something for me. Why? Because it's not because of the gifts. It's because of the moment. I get to celebrate how good God's been. That I have the opportunity to go to another state, be in church for six days, and come home to a family that loves me. I got signs hung on the curtain that says, welcome home, Dad. And, 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 and you, you don't know. You don't get it. I didn't have a dad I could do that for or wanted to do that for. But now in my age, at 41, I got kids who can't wait for Daddy to come home and, and make signs and say, welcome home, Dad, and draw me pictures. And, and, and Dad, did you see your sign? Dad, we're so glad you're home. Dad, I've missed you imagine if we would do the same thing with God? God, you don't have to bring me anything. Just can we spend time? Because in you, I'm satisfied. In you, I'm fulfilled. I can't even get to the rest of this message because I'm stuck at verse 21. But I think that's what he wanted to tell you today. Resurrection in life comes when you decide to be satisfied that he's good enough. Stop putting more on God. He's more than enough. Live that way and let the world know it so that he can become your resurrection today and your life. Everybody stand to your feet.